Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, WCC. It's good to be with you today on this Lord's Day. Uh, Daniel, thank you for filling in for Chris today. Keith, it's good to see you on, on the drums today. Um, it just, it's encouragement to me to see you all uh, just serving the body of Christ in that way, so thank you for that. Uh, today we're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. And as I was looking back over my sermons, actually it's been a year and a half now since we started this book, I couldn't believe this is going to be the 11th sermon in this series, but we're moving to the end of this book. We're getting there fast, and we're going to conclude chapter 5 today, Lord willing. We're going verse by verse through this letter by the Apostle Paul as I'm asked to fill in when I'm needed in the preaching rotation. Uh, And again, I'm so thankful to preach God's word whenever he gives me the opportunity So please open your Bibles now and to chapter 5 of Galatians and uh, follow along with me either from your Bibles or it'll be on the overhead projector here. Uh, I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 26 of chapter 5 of Galatians. And this is Paul speaking. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Let me pray here before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul and for the many letters he wrote which so clearly lay out the gospel of salvation by grace alone. 
Thank you for the salvation that you have given to many in this room and for the spiritual freedom we have in Christ. Thank you for all the truths that we find in this book of Galatians. We are especially thankful for the fruit of the Spirit that we read today. Help us to demonstrate those fruit in our lives. Meet us here in this place now. Give me the words to say, to proclaim your word rightly. Use this time for your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so once again, Tim Keller's book, Galatians for You, has really helped me in my understanding of this book of the New Testament. So I want to give credit where credit is due as we look at these verses together today. In normal religion, most of the time, the motivation for morality is based on some type of fear. We're told what the consequences are for our actions. But in true gospel Christianity, the motivation is less about fear and it's more a dynamic of love. As we saw in my last sermon, in the first half of chapter 5, in verses 13 and 14, Paul stated this, and I think we're going to have a slide for this. Here we go. And this is out of chapter 5. Paul said, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And now Paul spells out in the verses that I just read today how we grow in character through this new dynamic of love and not out of fear. And the headline for us in these verses today is that we grow as we battle. And that's going to be the title of this sermon. So let's begin now by looking closely at verses 16 and 17 here together. Uh, Verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, Paul is saying here to the Galatian Christians that there are two natures at work in every Christian. And verse 16 mentions both of them, the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. In other words, our sinful nature. At any point in our life, we'll live by one and not gratify the other. We just talked about this in Sunday school this morning. It was great. Paul, of course, encourages the Galatians here to walk by the Spirit. Paul describes our sinful nature in these verses, and many other times in his writings, he calls it the flesh. Paul is not talking about our our physical nature, our physical flesh here, but he's contrasting the sin-desiring aspect of our whole being as opposed to the God-desiring aspect of our whole being. He's talking about the flesh being our sinful hearts. 
at least the part of our hearts which are not yet renewed by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 17 that our sinful nature is set against the Spirit. It's a battle within us. We can think of it this way. The Spirit is our renewed Christian heart, made new by the Holy Spirit. And our sinful nature, our flesh, was there ruling alone and unopposed before we were saved. The Holy Spirit then entered supernaturally when we first became Christians and has begun a renewal that is now our new nature. We are continually being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, being made more into the image of Christ as we grow in faith. So it's a conflict. It's a battle in us between our old self and our new self. But we grow as we battle. It's a battle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. The main problem with our heart is that it has strong desires for bad things. But it can also have strong desires for good things as well. And when a good thing becomes our God, becomes our idol, it also becomes sinful and it creates over-desires. Paul is saying here that sinful desires become deep things in us that drive and control us. Sin creates in us the feeling that we must have this or we must have that. David Paulison, a Christian author and speaker, has some helpful insight on this. He says, if idolatry is the characteristic and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, then desires is the characteristic and summary New Testament word for that same drift. The New Testament merges the concept of idolatry and the concept of life-ruling desires for lust, craving, yearning, and greedy demand, end quote. Jesus teaches in the book of John that the Holy Spirit will come into the world to glorify me. So while our flesh still glorifies and adores and yearns and desires for all kinds of created things and conditions, the Holy Spirit glorifies and adores and yearns for Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks of the beauty and the greatness of Christ. The Spirit then longs to show us Christ and conform us to Christ. And Paul shows us that Christians with our new hearts ultimately want that. We want to conform to Christ, and he even says that here in verse 17. For these, he's talking about the flesh and the spirit, for the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Living the way of the spirit is what we most deeply want to do as Christians with a renewed heart. Yet the sinful nature continues to generate alternative and competing desires which we experience and can give into. 
And in today's sermon, I'm preaching a lot to myself here, but we need to understand that the reborn person has both sinful desires and godly desires. But according to Paul, we most truly want what our spirit-renewed hearts want. This statement from Paul is filled with hope and encouragement, isn't it? I hope that you see that as as I, I read that here in verse 17. Even when we are falling into sin, we can say with Paul, this is not the real me. This is not what I really want. I want God and his will. That's what the Holy Spirit in us is trying to teach us. As Pastor Jeff preached just last week, we can say to ourselves, my desires are not my identity. The phrase for Christians that we live in the already and the not yet is so true in so many ways. We already have forgiveness of sin, but we aren't free from sin yet. Through faith in Jesus, we already have reconciliation with God, but we aren't with God yet. We already love Jesus, but we haven't seen him face to face yet. Our citizenship is already in heaven, but our street address is definitely not celestial yet. So we wait and we trust in God that he is faithful to his not yet, and we grow as we battle. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Paul has taught earlier in this book that our sinful nature within us wants to be our own savior. It rejects the free gift of Christ's righteousness and salvation by grace alone. And it continues to seek its own. After all, the entire book of Galatians has mainly been about Paul saying, you are not saved by works, but only by God's grace, and to not go back under the yoke of the law. So the sin underneath all sins, the motive for our disobedience, is always a lack of trust in God's grace, in God's goodness, and it's a desire to protect our own lives through self-salvation, through works, through the law. It is focusing our thoughts on some object that could be in of itself good, but which turns into an idol by which we seek our own salvation or our own worth. For example, we can say to ourselves, I can truly be worthy to God if I'm loved. Or, I can truly be worthy to God if I have a good career. Or I can truly be worthy to God if my children love me. Or I can truly be worthy to God if my friends accept me. But eventually, that can create an over-desire for that idol. And then we might lose sight of God's grace in our lives and that our true worth comes from him alone. And again, as Jeff said last week, we should be saying to God, my identity is in you. 
That is where our true worth comes from. All right, let's move on now to verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here is a list uh, that, that Paul puts out here. And it's, Paul lists the acts of the sinful heart. Now it's not an all-inclusive list, as Paul states in verse 21, and things like these. So there are more things that we could add to this list. Notice these works of the flesh are not all actions, but attitudes are just as much over-desires as actions. The first three words on this list have to do with the works of the flesh and sexuality. It mentions sexual immorality. The meaning here is sexuality between unmarried people. Impurity. The meaning here is unnatural sexual practices or relationships. And sensuality, in other words, uncontrolled sexuality. The next two words on the list have to do with the area of religion. Paul mentions idolatry and sorcery, or you could say witchcraft. Paul is referring to some very specific occult and pagan religious practices that were occurring during this time in the region of Galatia. Idolatry provides an inadequate substitute for God, and sorcery is almost like faking the work of the Holy Spirit. Then the next eight words on the list describe how the flesh destroys relationships. Enmity, being hostile, and antagonistic to people. Strife, being argumentative or being someone seeking to pick fights. Jealousy, where you have resentment against another person enjoying success. This comes from our hungry ego. Fits of anger, having outbursts of hatred. Rivalries, a competitiveness based on our own selfish ambition. Dissensions, being a contentious or quarrelsome person. Divisions, creating discord and dividing people into warring groups. Envy, coveting or desiring what others have. These are all works of the flesh. And then finally, the last two words on the list refer to substance abuse, drunkenness, and orgies. These two words are linked together. The orgies mentioned here are not what you might think. They're they're not like sex orgies, but rather Paul's referring here to drinking orgies. One of the works of the flesh is addiction to pleasure-creating substances as well as pleasure-creating behavior. Paul has a stark warning 
for those who do such things. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very scary statement. Paul is referring here to habitual sinful practices rather than infrequent or repented of lapses. For someone to continually indulge the sinful nature without even trying to battle against it, Paul says here is to show that Christ may not have redeemed them and that the Spirit may not have renewed them. Paul is not looking to undermine a Christian's assurance of salvation here, but rather he's aiming to end our complacency with sin. If you are in a fight against your sin, and if it burdens you when you sin, and you're bringing it before the Lord to confess it, be encouraged, Christian, because that's the Holy Spirit working in you. That in itself could be an assurance of your salvation. And remember what Romans 5.20 says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God is so good and gracious to us. Even when we still sin, and we all do, we serve a mighty and loving and gracious God who provides the grace we need when we try to fight sin. Another point to consider here is that God doesn't make distinctions that we commonly do by by saying something like this. Well, sexual immorality and drunkenness, man, they're a lot more sinful than jealousy or strife. We sometimes tend to look at and exaggerate someone else's faults and lessen our own. It reminds me of the verse in Matthew 7 that says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right, moving on to verses 22 and 23. And I love these next two verses as Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. I know this has been a memory verse for us here. And not not the effort to have faith, or the effort to obey, or the effort to be loving and kind, the fruit of the Spirit has nothing directly to do with an exertion a believer can make. The fruit of the Spirit is just a natural result of the presence of the Holy Spirit residing in a believer. All right, so here's verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. To be led by the Spirit, as it says back in verse 18, is to change and to be changed to the people we want to be. The Spirit-led development of Christ-like character in us is very liberating because it brings us closer to being the people we were designed to be, the people our spirit-renewed hearts want us to be. Paul always chooses his images carefully, and it's very interesting here that he talks about the works of the flesh and then switches to talk about the fruit of the spirit. 
Now, he uses the singular word fruit here, not fruits, plural. And it takes us to the world of agriculture and tells us a few things about how the Holy Spirit works in us. Tim Keller points out four really good observations of the fruit of the Spirit here that I would like to share with you this morning. First observation, Christian growth is gradual, like a tomato or a potato growing. We might never realize that it's growing in us, then all of a sudden, some trouble or difficulty shows up in our life and we realize that we've grown some patience and that, that we never had before or we've grown self-control in a situation. So it's gradual. Second observation, the growth of the Spirit is inevitable. If someone has the Holy Spirit in them, if they are a Christian, the fruit will grow. Whatever a Christian's life is like, the fruit of the Spirit will burst through. It's inevitable. That's encouraging, and it can also be challenging. If we have been a Christian for a few years or more, we might ask ourselves, is there really fruit growing in my life? Now remember, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's been a message here in Galatians. But we are not saved by a fruitless faith. A person truly saved will be a person in whom the fruit of the Spirit grows. Third observation. The fruit of the Spirit has internal roots. It's not all about having good traits or good characteristics. It's about a change much deeper than that. It's a change of our hearts It's the circumcision of our hearts. And it's the internal roots that produce the spiritual fruit, not the other way around. And the fourth and final observation, Christian growth is symmetrical. In other words, it is well proportioned and encompasses all of the fruit listed here. Paul deliberately uses the the singular word fruit to describe a whole list of things that grow well-proportioned in a spirit-filled person. And from this, we learn a very important point for understanding and discerning the fruit of the Spirit. The real fruit of the Spirit always grow up together. It is symmetrical. They are one. They are singular. Jonathan Edwards put it like this. There is a connection of the graces of Christianity, end quote. That is, you do not get one part of the fruit of the Spirit growing without all of the parts growing. And when you look at the list of fruit, you know, we could notice that we're naturally stronger in some areas than in others. We, we may notice we have patience, but we might not have much joy yet. But our strengths, apart from the Holy Spirit, are due to just how God made us. But eventually, eventually, we should see glimmers that all nine fruit are there to some degree. 
It's worth looking briefly at each aspect of the singular fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to start with love, the first Uh, The first characteristic here, the first fruit on the list, its meaning here refers to serving others for their good and not for our own or for what a person may bring to us. Joy is having a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Our joy should not be based on our mood swings or circumstances Having a bad day at work or at home or at school should not take away our delight and joy in God. Peace, meaning a confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than our own selves. God's providence is good and he's sovereign over all things. Patience. An ability to face trouble or challenging circumstances without reacting with shortness or anger. Kindness. An ability to serve others practically, possibly in a way that might make us vulnerable. Goodness. Having integrity and being the same person in every situation doing good things rather than being a phony or a hypocrite. Faithfulness, being loyal, to be reliable and true to your word, being a friend to others in good or bad times. Gentleness, showing a great deal of humility towards others, not being self-absorbed. There's an aspect of kindness here as well. And finally, self-control. Not being impulsive, but having constraint. Having the ability to pursue the important over what we may consider the urgent. When we look closely at the fruit of the Spirit and see that one aspect of it cannot be seen in isolation from any of the others, and that Christian growth encompasses all nine fruit, I think we're going to see that we're far more in need of growth in the fruit of the Spirit than we think. It can be very humbling if we really think about that. How then can the fruit of the Spirit take root in our hearts and be produced in our lives? Paul immediately supplies the answer in right in the next verse. Let's look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. First, we need to remember that we belong to Christ. All that is his is ours. Our approval from the Father rests not on our character or our actions, but on Christ's. Second, because we belong to Christ, we have crucified the flesh. We have crucified our sinful nature with its passion and desires. It means fighting to put an end to the ruling and attractive power that our idols have on our lives. 
Crucifying the flesh is about strangling sin at the motivational level rather than simply setting ourselves against sin at the behavioral level. We have to ask ourselves not just what we do wrong, but why we do it wrong. We disobey God in order to get something we feel we must have. But to crucify the flesh is to say this, Lord, my heart thinks that I must have this thing. It has become an idol to me, but to think and feel and live with this thing is to forget what I mean to you. By your spirit, I will reflect on your love for me through Christ until this thing loses its attractive power over my soul. We grow as we battle. And finally, let's look at our last two verses for today, verses 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul says we need to keep in step with the Spirit. That's more than just giving things up that are sinful. It also implies actively working out our salvation. The Holy Spirit is a living person who glorifies in and magnifies the work of Jesus. Once we find our particular idols that create our over-desires and lead us to sin, we must replace those with Christ. And in verse 26, Paul ends this section of Scripture with three warnings. Number one, don't become conceited. Number two, don't provoke each other. And number three, don't envy one another. A walk directed by the Spirit will not result in us being prideful where we look down on others or provoke others or envy others. Living by the Spirit is not just an intellectual exercise. We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object or idol that we felt we had to have. As we do that, we will put to death our old self, clearing room for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And we will find that fruit growing will change us more and more into the people we long to be and God desires us to be. And we will continue to grow as we battle. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to grow to love you more. Help us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, to change our hearts and our minds to be more like Jesus. Help us to be a church here at WCC that stays true to your word. We are saved only by your grace. May this be the day of salvation for someone here. Meet us in a special way now as we come to your table. You are mighty and glorious, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.